This morning, we're going to be looking at the Eighth Commandment, and specifically, it's dealing with the whole idea of theft. Uh, it, we have the Eighth Commandment in Exodus chapter 20. It's very, very direct. It just quite simply, you shall not steal. That's about as direct as you could get. We're also going to spend some time looking at a passage in Ephesians that is somewhat of a commentary on the Eighth Commandment. We'll see it as we get on later into the message. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Uh, may, may God bless the reading of his word. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege of this time that we have to come and to dive into your word. Thank you for the things that you continue to teach me. Father, for the principles that are here that you continue to help me understand your word and your heart. And Father, I pray that you now speak through me, through your spirit, that you'd get me out of the way. Father, allow me just to be a vehicle that you use to communicate the timeless truths and help each one of us to have hearts that are open to hear and understand and to respond to whatever you may have for us to hear today. We pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when we first started the series on the Ten Commandments, you know, one of the things we talked about is that how, you know, everybody will say that they're important, but a lot of people have a hard time saying them. In fact, they've had surveys where they say amongst churchgoers that most Christians struggle to get between seven to eight on average that we know. And if you don't go to church, it's, it's actually you have a hard time getting up to four on average. And so, you know, we don't know a lot of these. But yet, when we come to the one we're looking at today, the Eighth Commandment, you know, you shall not steal, this is one that just about everyone knows. In fact, again, they've found that if you go out and ask people, even if you're not a churchgoer, you know, what can you list? This is going to be on almost everyone's list. They know this one, and, and they're going to say that it's actually one of the more important ones. Everybody knows this command. Everybody agrees that it's important. So you would think that we are all in agreement culturally, and we don't have a problem with it, right? Uh, unfortunately, that's not the case. For starters, we have a hard time even agreeing, while we may know it, we have a hard time understanding what it even means, let alone how to apply it. Let's start with the meaning. You think, again, it's about as straightforward as you can get. Don't steal. You know, don't take things that aren't yours. That seems really, really straightforward. It seems really clear. And, and on one hand, we see it is clear. And, um, and even when I think about this, I, was, I think about a story that my dad tells about how he was taught this principle from his dad, the importance of, of uh, other people's property and stealing. You know, my dad tells a story about how when he was young, his dad worked at a tool and dice uh, company, and, and every year they would have a picnic during the summer, and, and my dad was responsible for getting all the, the pop for the picnic. And so he would get together his boys. My dad was the oldest of three sons, and they would load up in the station wagon. They would go to the store and get you know, crates of, of pop. And it was back in the days where it was you know, the glass bottles, and they were heavy. And they'd get these crates of pop, and they would you know, carry them all to the car and then drive over to the, where the picnic is and carry them all to where the picnic would be. And, and my dad says, you know, he would, they would just plead with, with their dad, you know, Dad, can we have a, can we have a Coke? And his dad would say, well, no, son, you know, this is company property. Now, once the picnic starts, the company gives it to any, and you can have as many as you want once the picnic starts, but now it's company property and, and it would be stealing. And so they would unload and they would be all hot and sweaty and then the picnic, and they would drink as many as they want and eat as much as they wanted. But then after the picnic was done, they were responsible to collect the bottles and put them back in and return any, any that weren't drank. And, 
And so they're carrying this all to the car again, and they're hot and they're sweaty, and they're, Dad, can we, can we have a Coke now? And they said, well, no, during, during the picnic, you could have as many as you want, but now the picnic's over, and it's company property, and we don't want to take them. Now, you hear a story like that, and you say, that's a powerful story. And, and I know that as my dad shared that, his dad's example and character helped shape my dad and the character of his life. And then my dad has shared that story with me, and so that me and my siblings, their example of legacy of, of honesty and integrity has helped shape us. But as we hear that story, is that, do you think that's the kind of thing that's generally being taught in our schools or to our kids today? Unfortunately not. You know, the sad reality is that while it's a really clear command, there's an awful lot of confusion now about, about what, what it means and how to apply it. In fact, you just have to look at some statistics about theft, and it's not even armed robbery and, and what we think of big time. It's little things. Identity theft, in 2019, you had 14.4 millions who were victims of identity fraud, one in 15 people. Um, you know, that, that's $56 billion were stolen from individuals. Shoplifting is a huge problem. $25 million or billion dollars a, a year, that's over $50 million a day. And even stores say that even beyond shoplifting, identity or uh, employee theft is even worse. That employees are constantly stealing $50 billion a year. And so you look at this and you say, if everyone knows that stealing's wrong, and yet, why do we have this problem? Why is there this confusion? Well, part of it is that you have a lot of people that are, that are affirming that stealing is wrong, but maybe not always wrong. Let me give you some examples. In 2020, many of you may remember that there was a period where there were all kinds of riots, and part of the riots was also often organized looting. And so there would be times that you would have groups of people in an organized way would descend apart a part of a city and within a short period of time, knock out all the windows, knock out the doors, and, and clear out stores of all the merchandise in the store. Now, the sad reality was in the middle of that, there were many that were defending it. For example, there was one person who wrote a book in defense of looting, talking about why this was really not a bad thing. This was justified. And as much as you think, well, that's just a crazy person writing a book, what's really sad about that is in August of last year, National Public Radio released an interview where it was with the author of this book kind of affirming the truthfulness of what the person was saying. Now, this is National Public Radio. This is the station that's supported by tax dollars. Defending looting is, is not always, always wrong. Or another example that we saw from this past summer. This past summer, some of you might have heard about a video that was released where a guy rode his bike into a Walgreens with an empty trash bag. He then proceeded to fill the trash bag full of stuff off the shelves, ride his bike back out, all in front of a security guard. And, and this was released on video, and you say, well, what's, what's going on there? Well, the sad reality is in San Francisco, uh, those in positions of power have decided that any theft below $950 isn't prosecutable, so it's basically legalized. So this is happening all over the place. This was just one person capturing it on video. And it's, you know, it literally stores are going out of business because it's legalized theft. Now, even beyond that, there are certain people teaching it's okay. So several years ago, there was an Anglican priest in England who was a guy named Tim Jones, and he was speaking on the Eighth Commandment. And in his message, he was saying that the Eighth Commandment isn't always wrong. 
If you really need it, it's really not that wrong. And, and, and if you're stealing from a big company, that's not as bad as stealing from a small company. And you're thinking, wow, I've never seen that in the Eighth Commandment before Exodus 25. You know, well, if you haven't seen it, it's because it's not there. And I'm going to listen to what he said. This is from his words from this message. My advice as a Christian priest is to shoplift. I do not offer such advice because I think stealing is a good thing or because I think it's harmless, for it is neither. He continues, for I would ask that, uh, that they do not steal from small family businesses, but from large national businesses, knowing that the cost is ultimately passed on to the rest of us in the form of higher prices. I would ask them not to take any more than they need and for no longer than they need. So here you have a, a pastor saying, hey, I advise you to shoplift if you need it, you know, from big companies that aren't going to miss it that much. And you look at that and you say, if that's being taught, if that's being celebrated in public, you know, supported radio, are we surprised that we have the kind of confusion that we do? Now, before we shake our heads and you say, I can't believe that's them, I can't believe that, you know, they got it so wrong. We've got to go back even in our own hearts and say, is it possible that we could get this wrong, that we could compromise regarding this commandment? One recent poll of Americans showed that 74% of Americans said that taking something from another person was okay if the other person wouldn't miss the object. And uh, you, know, you say, okay, there's a lot of people that are saying, if it's small things, if it's, it's not always wrong. See, here's the problem, is that we can fall into the trap of seeing somebody that does something worse than we do and seeing it wrong, and then, because we only break it in a small way, we kind of justify that. And the Bible actually confronts a lot of these issues. In fact, for example, Proverbs chapter 11, it talks about, the, about false weights. False balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Now, in that day, when you bought and sold things, you would weigh them, and, and everything would be done by weights. And, and he's saying, okay, if, you, if false weight's terrible. Now, you might say, well, we don't do that any, anymore. You know, we don't buy and sell that way. Okay, well, the same issue is true that if we sell items using deception. If we overcharge something because we know we can get away with it. If, we, if we're selling a used car and we don't disclose everything because we want to get a better price. And, and we've got to realize that there's a lot of things we could do. And you could say, well, it's illegal. It's not illegal. It's not a question of legality. It's a question of morality. It's a question of what's right or wrong before God. One way that we can be guilty of stealing is by misusing our employer's uh, property or employer's time. Let's say, for example, uh, you know, we might think it's not theft, and, but here we are taking little things from the office, you know, personal supplies, and staplers, notebooks, computer equipment, whatever, and you might say, that's okay, everybody does it. Well, here's what you need to, you know, some people say, that's what I, you know, it's a fringe benefit, I deserve it. Well. If you're sure, not sure about that, go to your boss and ask them, hey, can I take these things from the office? Are they for me to use? And if they tell you it's okay, then it's, yours to, and it's a French benefit. If you don't want to go to the boss and ask, then you know it's wrong. You know the fact that you don't want to ask tells you that deep down you know you shouldn't be doing that. Or a bigger issue is our time. A survey showed that American workers admit that they spend an average of 25% of their time at work goofing off. So what that means is that I go to work and my employer is paying me for this time and I'm spending about a quarter of it goofing off, really not doing work. And what I'm doing is that I'm, in a sense, stealing that which they're paying me for. Or another example is how often do we have, well, I have sick days and I'm not really sick, but I'm gonna take it as a vacation day. 
Well, everybody does it. It's not stealing. Everybody knows that. Again, go ask your employer and saying, I'm not really sick today, but I want to take a vacation day. Is that okay? And if they say it's okay, then it's okay to do. If you don't want to ask, then you know. You know deep down you shouldn't be doing this. And it's little things that we can do, or even something as basic, the Bible is very direct on, is, is borrowing and not returning. Look at it says in Psalm 37. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous in gifts. So it's confronting something as simple as that or stealing intellectual property, or stealing other people's work by cheating at school, or taking ideas. There's so many things that we could look at and spend time in. So God's concerned about not only the big things, but the little things. But what I want you to see, though, is that we could spend a lot of time there, but I don't want to spend all my time looking at, okay, how's the law, and, and how do we define exactly the, the parameters of this law? Because it's more than, than just a moral law. You see, throughout this whole series, we've consistently come back to this idea that God gave the Ten Commandments as moral laws that would guide us, and they are that, but they're more than that. They're more, they're always more. And so every week we've looked back and we go deeper and we realize that, that it's also dealing with a heart issue because God isn't just concerned about what we do, He's concerned about who we are, not just our behavior, but our character. And so He always looks deeper into the issue of our heart trying to say, okay, are you changing who you are? And beyond that, we've seen that all the commandments are also always teaching not only a moral law, but a truth behind the law, this foundational truth, this foundational principle that God wants us to understand, to build our life upon, and to build our culture upon. Okay, so what is the foundational principle here, the foundational truth that is taught in this commandment? Now, there's two. They're quite tightly linked together. They're, in a sense, two sides of a coin. And the first side of this is one that you're going to say, okay, well, that's true. And, and you might think of it as a truth that we celebrate in our American culture and our, our, you know, our, our whole political system. And you may not think of it as something that's biblical. And that's simply this. If you understand the command against stealing, that command presupposes a right for personal property, for private property. In a sense, we have the right to have stuff that's on our own. Now, again, you might think of that as an American idea, but it's, it's you know, we're not communists, we're not, well, but it's not. It's, it's actually a biblical principle that you see that is taught here, that if we understand this principle, will lead to a healthier and happier culture. Now, if you look at this, you know, you say, okay, how do we understand this? God has created us to have stuff and to take responsibility, care for things that we own. And, and we can see this going back all the way back to Genesis. If you remember last week, for those that were here with us last week, we looked back to Genesis 1 and 2, and we saw in Genesis 1 and 2 that God created Adam and Eve for each other, and, and understanding that was part of understanding God's purpose and design for sex and sexuality. But if we look back to Genesis 1 and 2 this morning, we see that God didn't just create Adam and Eve for each other, but he also created them for the earth. In a sense, God gave them the earth and the garden and told them to take care of it. Last week, we saw the very first command that God gave to mankind was be fruitful and multiply. The second commandment that he gives is, okay, now, you know, subdue the earth. Take the garden and till it. Look what it says in Genesis chapter 2. God says, the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. That was a command. That was something he wanted to do. He said, this is yours. Now cultivate it. Take care of it. That there's a sense that he said, I'm entrusting to you personal property. Care for it. Now that's, a, that's something that when you understand it, 
It's a truth that helps us understand a lot of other things. So for example, you know, when you hear of someone who maybe they're thrown in prison and incarcerated, they have everything taken away from them, but just a few little things, that's dehumanizing. Why? Because part of who we are as humans are the ability to own, own things, to care for things. It's why things like extreme socialism don't work, because they go against the nature of God's design. It, I, you know, at times I've been with people after they've been robbed, if, if their house has been robbed and it's been broken into. And it's interesting, just about every time I've been with someone after that time, they almost always say, well, I just feel violated. And I'm thinking, wait a second, you know, you weren't here, you know, they took your stuff, it's just your stuff. Why do, why do you say, I feel violated? Because there's a link between what we own and who we are. There's a link here. There's a sense that we are built to have and care for stuff. That's who God has created us to be. It's tied to our personhood. So now, if you understand that this, the command to do not steal assumes there's something about us that God has built into us to have things and care for them, what it means is that, therefore, when I steal, I'm just not taking people's stuff. I'm trampling on part of who they are. I'm, I'm violating who they are. It's not just a question of, well, who has the most and who needs the most. No, it's something far deeper. Not only that, I mentioned there are two principles that are two sides of the same coin. And that's what we have here, because if you understand that the Bible does call us to understand the principle of private property, the other side of that truth, the other half of that truth, is that when God entrusts things to us as private property, he doesn't fully give it to us. He entrusts us to us as a steward. See, our ownership of things is never ultimate. It's ultimately God's that he entrusts to us. We're stewards. There's a principle of stewardship. As stewards, everything that we have, our ownership is really derived. We aren't the ultimate owners. We're stewards of someone else who is the owner. Now, when you think of ownership, that means that whatever you have, you can do whatever you want with it. It's yours. But when you think of stewardship, that means that I have a trust to, do, to take the things that I've been entrusted to and to use it well. Now, what that means is that if I really take this seriously, everything that I have, my, my, my money, my goods, my, my strength, my ability, everything is something that I've been entrusted with God. Jesus talked about in the parable of talents that he's entrusted these talents to us and we have to use them well. And one day we'll have to give an account for how we've used them. Now, there are several. Let me give you three uh, applications and implications of this. First of all, if we really understand the whole concept of stewardship, what that means is not only does everything that I own, ultimately not mine, it's God's, and I'm a steward of it, it means everything that somebody else owns isn't theirs, it's God's. They're stewards of it. And so what that means is that we have to respect God's ownership, not only of our things, but also other people's property. Now, that's really significant. Because what it means is when we steal from someone else, we're ultimately stealing against God. Yes, we're wronging them. We're going to them and we're saying, you know, well, uh, you, know, um, you know, I don't care who you are. I think I have a greater right to what you have than I do. So it's devaluing the other person. But ultimately, it's ultimately God's. They're entrusted to it by God. So if I take it from them, it's really an offense against God himself. Not only that, but if we really understand stewardship, what it means is that part of understanding stewardship is understanding that God is a good steward. 
that as a steward, he's going to, as his steward, he's going to give us what we need. And if we really believe that God is good and that he is kind, then what it means is that we're going to trust that what he's given us is all that we need. And therefore, stealing is always not only a sin against God in the sense that it's taking his stuff from someone else, but it's also a sin against him because it reveals a lack of faith and trust in God. See, we're, we're, we're sinning against him and we're saying, God, you know, what you've given me, it isn't enough. You know, I don't think it's enough. It's, you know, you're not good. You know, you don't understand my needs. And if you understood, then, you know, you would give me more. So I have to go outside of what you've done to be able to get more outside of what your provision is. I think about what James says about this in James 1. He says this, don't be deceived, my dear bro- beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. And here's what it's saying. It's not only that everything that we have that is good is from God, it's because God is good, everything that is good that we need, God gives us. And if we really have confidence in him, the fact of the matter is, we're not gonna go outside of his provision. Stealing is always a sin against God because it's a lack of trust and faith in him. It's it's in a sense spitting in his face and saying, God, you're not good. I have to go outside of you. Not only that, if we understand stewardship, it means that everything that we, the way that we view possessions and the way that we use them will always be in a way that is consistent with the owner's values. See, the question is, how does God want us to view what we have? Not only how does he want us to use it or view it, how does he want us to use it? See, and this really then gets to the heart issue behind the command. Because again, when you look at the command, it's, it, we can look at it in more rule. What do you do? We don't do this. We do this. And, and God is really trying to deal with our heart issue. And the heart issue isn't just what we do. It's how we view things. See, God wants us to have the right view of possessions. And stealing is a reflection of the fact that our heart attitude is wrong. So if we're stealing, our heart's always wrong. But I cannot steal and still have a really messed up heart about possessions. So so it really is driving us to saying, okay, what is the heart issue behind the command? What is the ultimate thing that God is trying to get us to? And what we found is that as we've gone through the Ten Commandments, pretty much every week we go back and we see that there's somewhere, usually in the New Testament, a passage that kind of repeats the commandment and then goes beyond the commandment to say, okay, this is the heart issue. This isn't just the don't do this, but this is the character that God wants now, we see this in, in Ephesians 4. We read a few moments ago. Let me go back to that, because that's all Paul is doing here. He's saying, this is the heart issue. Ephesians 4, 28. Let the thief steal no longer. Okay, that's, don't steal. That's the, that's the commandment. But rather, let me expand on that. Let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, that he may have something to share with anyone who's in need. So here he's coming, and he's saying, okay, if it's a law, don't steal. If you haven't still, if stopped stealing, well, I'm good. If it's a heart issue, it's not only don't steal, but I want you to have the right heart issue. And when does a thief become not a thief? It's not just when you stop stealing. It's when you then work, and you're doing something with your hands, you're laboring, you're actually contributing something to society, and then you take the income you have and you give. You become generous. You've not stopped becoming a thief when you just stop taking because I can stop doing the, right, the wrong action and still have the wrong heart attitude behind it. God's trying to get there behind this, and he's trying to say, okay, let's look at the heart issue. See, because there's, in a sense, three sides of the command. First of all, don't steal. Okay, we've got that one. That's the Eighth Commandment. But rather, go out and you know, work with your own hands, do labor, earn some income, contribute to the culture, till the garden, 
and then do that so that the aim of your labor would be that you have income that you can share with others, that you can give with others who are in need. And so there's this idea that God is shaping our heart. He's trying to describe us or, or, or move us to this point of saying, it's not just a matter of, you know, of don't steal. What, what's the problem? The problem is greed. See, I cannot steal and still be really greedy. I could be working and it's all about me and I can then be manipulating people and, and even at work really keeping the law but having a hard attitude that's really wrong. And he's saying, no, no, work. Why? So that you can give because I want you to have a character of, of generosity. So when we look at the heart issue, the heart issue is going to be revealed in the little things. So let's go back to what we've seen in the last couple, couple of commandments. Remember, okay, if we go back to the fifth commandment, don't, don't murder, or the sixth commandment, don't murder. And, and the sixth commandment, what's the heart attitude? Okay, God said, it's not just don't murder. You cannot murder and still be guilty of the heart attitude. The heart attitude is anger. And how does that reveal itself? In words. So if you're criticizing people, cutting people down, it shows that you have the heart attitude of anger. It's the little things that reveals where your heart's really at. How about the problem of, of uh, the seventh commandment of adultery? It's not just don't commit adultery because you cannot have an affair and still totally miss the heart attitude. The issue is, is lustful thoughts. That if you're having lustful thoughts towards other people, the fact is your thought life, the little things, reveals that your heart is wrong. So what is he teaching? This principle throughout the whole commandment. God is always concerned by our actions and the sm small things, the little things. The things that we talked about in the beginning and say, well, here's the bad things, but it's what we do at work. It's how we handle things that we've been lent. It's the little things that everybody accepts. Look what Jesus says about this in Luke chapter 16. The one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And the one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. So if we're dishonest and untrustworthy with pencils and dimes and office supplies and our time at work, see the fact is that we're setting a heart character that shows that deep down, our character is guilty of breaking the Eighth Commandment. Likewise, if our integrity and honesty reach down to the smallest of things, it shows that God is shaping our heart that we can be trusted with the big things. That's what my grandfather was teaching my dad. That's why you look at that and you say, well, that seems like an extreme story. You, know, you can't drink a Coke when you're carrying things over. But what he's saying is, son, I want you to realize, be faithful in the little things that have a view of material possessions that, you know, we're carrying this, it's the companies, and, and he's teaching this lesson, and my dad learned it. That's what God is concerned about. But let's even go deeper. What is the ultimate heart issue that is here? What is the thing that God is trying to get to? Again, we saw with murder, it's, it's anger. We saw with adultery, it's lust. What is the ultimate heart attitude that drives a spirit of theft? What is God teaching against here? So I think when we look at this, it's not, again, just about what we do. It's who we are. And the ultimate heart attitude that God is addressing is, is greed. It's a heart attitude that drives stealing. When we think about this, it's a, a heart of greed, a, a heart that looks at things and says, okay, I want more. I'm not happy with what I have. And, and not only that, but if you think about a heart attitude of greed, it deals not only with how we view money, but how we treat people. So if you could just simply give a you know, description of what greed is. Greed at the heart, a, heart, a greedy heart, well, we seek to use and abuse people to get things. It has an attitude that's always taking advantage of people because things are more important. And I'm going to use and abuse people to get more stuff. 
Now, here's what I want to remind you. This is not just a moral law that's telling us what we should do. Again, we could stop here and say, okay, what are we allowed to do? What are we not allowed to do? It's not just a moral law. God is teaching a heart attitude of what we should be, and that's based on foundational truths and principles about how we should view ourselves and the things that we have. And so we got to tie this all together. So what does that mean? These are ideas to say a greedy heart, if we, that's a foundational truth. To use the Jenga illustration, it's a block at the bottom of the tower. If you take the block out, the tower is going to fall. All right, so that's the principle here. And we know that. We know that in our experience. Let me, let me illustrate. You're going you're to help me here, right? All right, I want you to think of the most greedy person you can think of. And it doesn't matter whether they're wealthy or not, because sometimes I know greedy people that aren't that wealthy, but they're always thinking about money or things. And, and not only that, but in their greed, they're using people to get stuff. And it might be position, it might be all kinds of things. Now, you have that greedy person in mind? I have my person in mind, let me show his picture right up here. No, no I'm not gonna do that. You know, some, some of you might have been scared, you know, but just, no. Now, you think of that greedy person, here's the question. Are they happy? And I know the answer. We all know the answer. Have, I ever, have you ever known a greedy person to be happy? No, they're using things, they're using, and they're, they have stuff, but they're, they're not happy people. And this isn't just something that we know within the church, it's something that we know within the culture. It's actually something that we know in a story that we see told numerous times every Christmas season. We're about, you'll hear, see the story, hear a story a couple more times this year. All right, so Christmas, Christmas season. Can you think of any greedy people? Yeah, right away. Scrooge, Ebenezer Scrooge. We think of that. Christmas story. And what is Ebenezer Scrooge? It's a greedy person who seeks to use and abuse people to get things. And you might think, well, it's, this is about stealing. He didn't steal. Well, okay, maybe legally he didn't steal, but remember, again, it's not about legality. It's about morality. And the whole story is about him abusing people, taking advantage of people, being all about money, and the fact is, when you look at that story, was he a happy person? No. I mean, he's this miserable miser who's out by himself, you know, saving all his money. And the whole idea is, is that he's unhappy. And we know that. Our culture knows that. Now, so if the heart issue behind stealing is greed, and we look at this and say God is wanting to transform our heart, now the question is, what's the opposite of greed? What's the, you know, we've seen throughout this series that, again, God's not only trying to point out what's wrong, but he's wanting us to understand truth so that we can transform our heart, we can be more like him. We're defined by our righteousness. So if we're defined by our righteousness and the wrong spirit is greed, the opposite here related to stealing, the opposite of greed is a part of generosity. That is a generous person. Now, think about even what that means. What does it mean to be generous? To have a heart attitude that recognizes, okay, everything that I have is God. I'm entrusted with God as a steward. And as a steward, I therefore want to use things in a way that is consistent with the values of the owner. And what does the owner want? The owner wants me to be generous. Why? Because that's who he is. That's, that's God's character. He's generous. He gives now, let me take you to a passage you might not think in this context, but let me see it and show you, and show you how this all wraps up. Um, you know, I'd say 
for those that are us Italian, we believe this is the Italian prophet, Malachi. Uh, everybody else calls him Malachi. Malachi chapter three says this, will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And tithes and contributions. You're cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Now, God puts it clearly. He says, you know, you know teaches an idea of tithing that we would give a 10% a tithe of what our income is to his priorities. Why? Because that's his ownership. It's recognizing his ownership. And when he says, okay, if you're not bringing the tithe in, God doesn't say you're being stingy. Because if it was ours, and it was ours to use, then, then we would be being stingy. But he's not saying that. He's saying, no, you're robbing me. Why? Because it's mine. God's saying, no, you're the trustee, and I'm calling you to do this, and if you're not doing it, then you're robbing from me. Now, when we look at this, I want you to see that it's all about not a law. I could take this and make it about a law, and here's what you need to do, and here's what 10%, and you know. It's not about that, it's a heart attitude. God is all about our heart. He's about our character. And what is he saying? Why does he give us a principle of tithing? Because he wants us to remember this big, bigger principle of stewardship, that he has given us private property, but everything that we have, we're a steward of. And that's a foundational principle. If I remember that, my life is going to be happier. My culture is going to be healthier. And so how does he remind us of this? He said, okay, I want you to develop a discipline where you take a tithe from what I give you and you give it back to me because that's the way of reminding yourself, this isn't mine, this is God's. It's a way of, re of recognizing his stewardship. It's recognizing that I'm, I want to take that which he's given me and use it in a way that honors his values. But why does he call us to do it? Because he needs it? Now, does it support the church? Yes, it does. That's a good thing. Does it help the needy when we do that? Yes, it's a good thing. But it's not ultimately because God needs it. God can, God can provide any way he wants. Do you know why he calls us to do it? For our own good. Because these are foundational truths. If we remember and live these out, our life works better. Look what the next verse says. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, so it may meet the needs, that's part of it. Therefore, put me to the test, because here's the bigger issue. So put me to the test, says the Lord your host. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now here's what God is saying. I want to bless you, and if you understand this, and if you live it out, I'm going to bless you. Now, what it's not promising, what I've heard some people promise, just even this past week, I heard somebody talking about this, that, you know, that means that if you give God a dollar, he's going to give you 10. If you want to get rich, the way to do that is give him money, and he's going to multiply it. That's not what it's teaching. Why? Because what is greed? Greed is using and abusing other people to get more stuff. What is that teaching? Here's the way to use God to get more stuff. That's a, greed, a spirit of greed, which is God is condemning. That's not what it's teaching. Now, there are times that God says, if you're faith with, faithful with little things, he'll trust you with much. If you give, that he will give back. There is a sense that he will meet our needs. But then what is the promise? What is the windows of heaven? The windows of heaven are his blessing. It's joy, it's happiness. It's saying, here's this principle, here's this foundational truth. If you remember in these principles of private property and stewardship, if you keep that block in your life and your culture, life's gonna work better. You're gonna be happy, you're gonna have joy. He's not telling us this because it's a duty, because he's twisting our arms, because we need it. He's telling us because he wants us to discover, to live with the life and the structure that he's created us for. It's a promise. 
What he's calling us to is a spirit of generosity, not a spirit that uses other people to get things, but a generous spirit that uses things to serve God and people. That uses what we have, recognizing God has ownership of it, so I want to use it in a way that is consistent with God's character so that I'm using it to serve God and his people by supporting the church, by meeting the needs of the needy and things like that. Now remember, this is all based on principles that are meant for good. Let's illustrate it. Before I asked you, can you think of a greedy person? We thought of someone. Think of the most generous person you can. Can you think of someone extremely generous? Again, they don't have to be wealthy. Some people I know that are not that wealthy, but are extremely generous with what they have, with their time and their effort. They serve people. Can you th- whether they're wealthy or not, can you think of a generous person? Okay, now, are they happy? Are they joyful? We all know the answer. Yes, they are. You know, you want to discover a path to joy? Discover generosity. I've never known a really generous person that isn't happy, that doesn't have joy. Why? Because these are foundational truths that God gives us. And the more that we understand them and live according to these, the more that we have these foundational truths in our life, the more our life works the way it's designed. The more that I understand that God's private property and possession and I'm entrusted and I live that way, the more that I enjoy the possessions that God has given me. The more that I enjoy the people that I'm able to serve. Friends, God teaches us this because it's true and for our good. Okay, so let's say it's not even our church. Let's go back to let's go back to Christmas Carol. Ebenezer Scrooge. He was really miserable. This my you know that he's you know locked away in his room by himself until suddenly he discovered a spirit of generosity. And Christmas morning he gets up and he's just crying out. Is it Christmas Day? Okay, I want to give this to people and I'm going to go to Bob Cratchit. I'm going to take care of Tiny Tim and I'm buy Christmas presents. And he's suddenly giving and 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 he's joyful. He suddenly has unlocked a spirit of joy. Why? Because we know even in a secular culture that generosity, a spirit of generosity that gives is the path to unlocking the blessings of heaven that it talks about in Malachi 3. So my friends, when we look at this, I want to encourage you. Do you see God's invitation here? See, this isn't about, it can make it all about law, about command, and here's what you need to do, and here's what... We try to understand those things, and we should. But beyond the law, I want to understand the principles, the principle of property and stewardship and the hard attitude of really surrendering to God on the little things and then letting him go deep and recognize God exposed the spirit of greed. And why do you call me to give? Because it's a way that you call me every week to, to battle against the spirit of greed and to recognize your ownership and to learn to be generous. And God, help me to not only do that, but to have a generous spirit Why? Because I want to live with the blessings that you've given me. I want want to understand what it means to live with the joy of being a generous heart. Because the more that I align myself with you and with your words and with your design, the more I discover the incredible blessings that you've created me for. I hope we can learn and discover this. It goes so far deeper than just don't steal. And boy, the more we learn these things, the more we learn the blessings that come from building our lives on the foundations, the core principles, the core truths that God has given us.